for those who are here this morning, um, but also just to recap for the rest of us, over the past few weeks, um, it is good to be here, isn't it? <laughs> over the past few weeks, we've been enjoying an Advent series uh, titled Light Overcoming Darkness. Uh, we've heard how at creation, God said, let there be light, and there was. And John pointed out to us quite rightly there, if you read the Genesis account uh, accurately, uh, that takes place before the sun's created. So this light is more than just daylight or sunlight, something more, something other. We've also heard from Isaiah how God promised to shine a great light to those who have walked in darkness, to those suffering anguish and gloom regarding the nations of Israel and Judah and the rest of the nations. Last week we heard from Nathan and from John's Gospel that the light has come, Jesus, the light of the world, the true light has come into this world, the world, the word became flesh. That light has actually come in the person of Jesus into the human sphere of this dark world. The light of the world has come and the darkness has not overcome it. This morning, things get personal. This morning, things in a really good way get personal as we learn that this light has not only shone in creation and to the nations, but actually shines in our own hearts. God himself has shone into the hearts of every person who believes. What does that mean? What is it for God to shine in our hearts? And why is it that not everyone sees the light that God has shone so brightly? Have you ever had that experience if you're on a road trip perhaps or with a bunch of people um, and someone calls out, hey, did you see that? Look over there. Can you check that out? And they can see something and you're looking and you're looking and you've missed it, whether it's a shooting star or some wildlife or something and you can see it or they can see it but you can't be quite frustrating, can't it? Or like I said with the kids, very impromptu kids talk, these books, they frustrate me to bilio. I don't have the magical eye. <laughs> I couldn't even see a saxophone or a trumpet. I almost got the trumpet once. Um, everyone else can see a tiger or an elephant standing on its head. Um, all I see is a kaleidoscope of colours and patterns. Andrew can show me later how to do it, maybe. Most of us don't battle with blindness, do we? physical blindness. Some of us fear it, some of us lose clarity in our vision, particularly as we get older, we might depend more and more on glasses or contact lenses, maybe surgery. But ask a blind person, someone who really cannot see what it's like, and it's a whole different thing, isn't it? We could try to close our eyes and walk around for a day, it wouldn't be the same. Years ago when I was teaching, we had a, a blind guitarist. He sort of played Tommy Emmanuel-style stuff, a fella called Lauren Nicholson. He had about 10% vision in his eyes. He'd come and do talks as well as play his guitar and uh, share with the students. And one of the things he did with them was he had some safety glasses that he and his dad had worked out. Um, if they wrapped in Glad Wrap, about 17 layers of Glad Wrap, and everyone else wore that, that would give them the equivalent of what he could see. And basically all he looked at was if he, in, a, in a room like this, all he would see was a, a sort of blur of light where there was a bright light and some shadows. Uh, so it tried to give us an indication of what someone who can't see, what he could see. When he was younger, he probably had a little bit more vision then, it's deteriorated. Um, he wanted to ride his bike to the beach. It was about a day-long trip on his bike. And his dad, who was very encouraging, said, OK, let's do it. And in uh, his dad's support vehicle behind him, <coughs> he rode his bike and all he could see was the white line on the side of the road, the edge of the road, and he got to the beach that day. 
quite amazing. Most of us don't struggle with that sort of blindness, do we? We don't battle with physical blindness. Most of us actually see pretty well, and yet there are so many of us with good vision who cannot see God. You might have 20-20 vision when you go to the optometrist, but when it comes to seeing God in the face of Jesus Christ, that's a whole different ballpark, isn't it? There are many who are blind, though, who can see the light of the good news in Jesus Christ. Jesus made that very clear when he healed a blind man one day. And they said, some people said, well, we can see, but we can't see who you are. And they said, well, you've just shown how blind you are. And yet the blind man gave thanks and praise to God because he knew who Jesus was. Some people may well see God and the glory of God better than anyone with 20-20 vision. What is it that makes a difference? What is it that enables us to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and others not to be able to see that? Let's have a look at what Paul says. If you've got your Bibles there, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we had heard uh, read for us. In the previous chapter, it's all in its context as usual, Paul's speaking of two different ministries, the ministries of two different covenants, the old and the new. The old covenant <clears throat> given to Moses, the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai, that was good. That covenant was good. It was actually glorious. So glorious, in fact, <clears throat> the Israelites couldn't gaze upon Moses' face when he came down from the mountain. Such was the glory that came with the Old Covenant. They could not look at Moses. But as good and glorious as it was, it was a fading glory, a glory which would come to an end, a glory which has now come to an end. So there's continuity between the Old Covenant and the New, but there's also discontinuity. They're not the same. One is only a shadow of the substance to come from Hebrews and Paul describes that old covenant in light of the new as a ministry of death a ministry of condemnation in chapter 3 but the new covenant the gospel of Christ the good news of great joy that we recognize at Christmas with the birth of Jesus is a ministry of life a ministry of the spirit and of righteousness and Paul tells us in chapter 3 that the, the, the new covenant the gospel far exceeds the old in glory. It's not just that it was a greater light shining, it's that this light would never fade. It was an eternal glory. It was a permanent glory. And Paul says, having this ministry, this ministry of the gospel, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. You see, the gospel is not just some theory, is it? It's not just a bunch of ideas that some of us might agree with and others disagree with. It's not just some psychology to help us get through dark times. The gospel is the glory of God revealed to us in the face, in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the truth of God, his holiness, his righteousness, his saving grace, his love, his justice in the person of Jesus Christ. A man who walked this earth, who lived and died for our sake. And Paul says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And I think you'd agree with me, the world needs something today, doesn't it? So that it wouldn't lose heart. 
to keep it from losing heart, from losing all hope? Don't we need something today and every day to stop us from losing heart? And so much of the reason for that is because whatever we have in this life, whatever this world offers us, the new toys we might get at Christmas or any other time, they will lose their shine. Even the dark and difficult days we have that rob us of any hope, they will pass away. Everything, no matter how shiny or how scary, no matter how glorious or how gloomy, will fade and pass away. All our possessions and even the persecutions we face. Even our bodies, no matter how fit and strong they might be at the moment or not be, weak and wobbly, like a pair of denim jeans on the clothesline on a summer's day, they're all going to fade. Or like a flower fading in summer heat. But not this. Not the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This will never fade. It's a permanent glory. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this morning I want us to hear exactly what this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is. Because that's why Paul doesn't lose heart. He has his hope firmly fixed in this. And I hope we do too. I dare say there are times dark clouds looming. We did a series on lament earlier in the year. Sometimes they hang heavy over us, don't they? Sometimes we actually find ourselves misplacing or displacing our own hope and we feel despair. We lose our hope. We become disillusioned and despair of any hope, which is why Nat reminded us a couple of weeks ago where Peter urges us to pay attention, that we will do well to pay attention more closely to the word of God more fully confirmed in Jesus Christ. Because if we put our hope in anything else, we will be disappointed. But as Paul tells us in Romans, this hope does not disappoint. So if you end up disappointed or disillusioned, what does that tell us? Our hope's been misplaced. It's not in an eternal hope. There are plenty of lamps shining in the world today. False gospels, short-term gratification, empty promises, quick fixes. But like something bought from one of those cheap stores, you think, oh, that'll do, <laughs> a little torch or something. It doesn't last, does it? You get a decent one from a camping store or something and all that. Now the other stuff, fragile, flimsy, the batteries go flat really quickly. <laughs> That's like the empty promises of the world and the false hopes that we try to cling to. They fade away and their glory goes with them, but not the gospel. Paul alludes to the fact in this passage that there were others who were shining those false and flimsy lights. They were false teachers peddling the gospel for their own gain. Not me, says Paul. These others, they were altering it according to their own preferences. They were trying to do it for their own gain. But in doing so, they butchered the message of Christ. And they defiled and diminished the glory of God in the process. But not Paul. Not his fellow gospel workers. What does he say? We have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. All he wants to do and all he does is by open statement of the truth, proclaim the gospel. And he says, you can check me out. We commend ourselves to you, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. All he proclaims is a very clear presentation, proclamation of Christ and the gospel. 
And Paul knew the reason why so many rejected him and the message he brought wasn't because of his message, wasn't because of him. It was because they rejected Christ. And the reason so many people in the world and even in the church today lose heart and lose hope is because they've got their hope clinging to something other than Jesus Christ. Because what they thought was glorious, what they thought was going to give them hope and life-giving um, life, ended up becoming nothing. And it would fade away and come to an end. And eventually we see things for what they really are, don't we? And that's when we become disillusioned and despair. Because they don't give us life and hope. That's what Paul explains back in chapter 3. If they don't turn to Christ, the veil remains over them. They cannot see it. But it's also how it is for anyone who exchanges the glory of the immortal God for any other image or any other God. That's what this darkness that we've been talking about does. We've heard that darkness is the absence of light, and it is. But when we read about it in the scriptures here, what we're hearing is it's more like a black hole that actually swallows up any light and any hope. And it's a moral darkness, not just a physical darkness. And any light that comes it, and the spell it, the darkness tries to swallow up and get rid of it. It's an anti-God, unholy, ungracious, moral darkness. But the light has come and shone into the world. And the darkness has not overcome it. The light overcomes the darkness. God himself, in all his moral goodness and glory and light, has shone into the world. And no black hole of darkness could ever swallow him up. But unless we see the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, we won't realise the futility of everything else. Of what we think is glorious. Because so many in the world, Isaiah speaks about it, those who call darkness light and light darkness. We actually think what we, what we see to be light and hope and glory is actually darkness in the end. What we look to in life, forgiving life, actually drains life, sucks it away from us. False promises, false gods, false gospels. And we can all suffer from disappointment and disillusionment in one degree or another. When our expectations, our dreams and illusions come crashing down, unfulfilled. Whether it's in marriage, at home, at work, in life, whatever it is. We can all become disillusioned if we're not focusing on the true glory and light of Jesus Christ. Like Paul here, what we all need and what the world needs is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I need that every day. I know I need it. Some days it feels like I need it more than others, I know. But we all need that every day. Sometimes all you can pray is, How long, O Lord? And we need the light of the knowledge of the glory of God so that we would not lose hope to keep us from the pit of despair and sustain us each day because only that light will actually keep us in the end that's why Paul doesn't lose heart and it's an encouragement for us to do the same but even though he declares this gospel by open statement of the truth not everyone hears it not everyone sees the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ not everyone receives this light why is it kept from some and not from others? 
There is something of a mystery when it comes to faith and unbelief, isn't there? Regarding who's at work in the faith of those who do believe and the unbelief of those who don't. The whole mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility in that arena. You might remember in our series through the book of Acts a little while ago, a quote from Isaiah 6, many of God's covenant people would hear but not understand, they would see but not perceive. Why? Because their own hard and dull hearts refused to believe. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul tells us that to those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved, God himself sends a strong delusion so that they, can't, they would not believe um, well, sorry, so that they would believe what is false. Let me say that again. Paul tells us there in 2 Thessalonians 2 that to those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved, God sends a strong delusion so that they would believe what is false. But then here we read it's the God of this world, Satan, who blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Satan pulls the shutters down, making it dark, closing out the light to the minds of unbelievers. But take note, though, in both those passages that seem to be contradictory, God sends a strong delusion, Satan blinds the minds. It's neither God nor Satan who makes them unbelievers. It's those who are not believing the gospel who are sent a strong delusion and whose minds are blind. And yet in all the mix of that, there's God's sovereign choice and election as well. However you land in that discussion, wherever you place the emphasis and ultimate responsibility, there is a call for all and to all to repent and believe, to hear the gospel. The answer in that conundrum, I guess, in that tension, is not to try and wrap it all up neatly like a Christmas gift and tie it with a bow and say, there you go, I've got it all worked out. Instead, we're told to proclaim the gospel... Proclaim the gospel of Christ and praise God and give thanks for any who believe, including ourselves. We've only come to see that light because God has shone that light in our hearts. Not because of any great wisdom or insight that we have. He has opened the eyes of our hearts to see the knowledge, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul has very cleverly here and very intentionally, I think, combined two of our senses, both our hearing and our seeing together. Unbelievers are blinded. They're kept from seeing the light of the gospel. But what's the gospel? The gospel is good news, which is reported. It's declared. It's heard. It's proclaimed. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But the word of God's not merely heard, is it? The word of God itself is creative, powerfully so. The word of God is what brought light into being, out of the darkness. It illuminates the darkness. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, God simply spoke and it happened. So we don't just hear the word of God, we see the action of it. As I was encouraging the children when they see the manger and the cross, we actually see the love of God. What we proclaim, Paul says here in verse 5, is not just ourselves, not ourselves at all, but Jesus Christ as Lord. He proclaims the light shining Son of God. And yet not everyone sees it. Not because his message is deficient. Not because his batteries have gone flat in the light of his gospel. But because their minds have been blinded by the God of this world because of their unbelief. They don't see because they don't want to hear 
the gospel of Christ. They don't want the light shining in the darkness of their own hearts and revealing the deeds done in darkness. But for Paul and for all who do believe, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shone in our hearts to give us the, knowledge, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. First of all, Paul's actually speaking about himself there. Our hearts, him and his fellow gospel workers. This is why we proclaim the gospel as we do, because God's shone in our hearts. But then what he's saying is that this is true for all who believe, for all of us. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who said, let light shine at the very beginning of creation, has actually shone into our hearts. That's what I mean by it gets personal today. What is this knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that Paul's speaking of. He's already referred bits to it in the previous chapter where he spoke about the old covenant and the new and the veil that remains if they don't turn to Christ, they cannot see the glory of God. But it's a veil and a blindness which is lifted, it's removed when one turns to the Lord. But if they refuse to accept Jesus as the Christ, then the veil remains not just over their eyes, but over their hearts. And then in chapter 4, Satan blinds their minds. You might recall how Paul started his first letter to the Corinthians, where he said the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who don't believe, those who are perishing, they look to the cross, they don't see the love of God, they see madness. Whether you're Jew or Greek, American, Australian, Victorian, South Australian, Anglo, ethnic, whatever. To see a man on a cross bleeding and dying 2,000 years ago for us, it's got nothing glorious about it, has it? It's a gruesome and dark and weak image. Death. It's confronting to some. It's a curse to others. It's anything but glorious. To say that a man named Jesus of Nazareth, who dies in that way on a cross, was the Son of God, the Saviour of the world, and that actually what he did back then affects my life and my conscience now. Absolute madness if we don't hear the Gospel and believe it. Can you see how unbelief and blindness go hand in hand? We will not see the love of God at the cross or at the Christmas story if we don't believe the Gospel. We won't see the love of God if we don't hear the gospel and receive it. But more importantly, as this gets personal today, can we see just how much God needs to shine the light, this light of his glory into our own hearts? You see, where there is light, you don't need to shine a light, do you? It's already light. But where there's darkness, that's when you need the light. Some nights, uh, a bit different in summer now, but some nights in a Bible study or elders meeting, we're here, we turn all the lights off, and if I've forgotten to turn the outside light on, you flick the one off at the foyer there, and it's absolutely pitch black out there. You've got to say, hey Siri, turn on your phone. Where there's darkness, you need a light. So what does it tell us if God has shone his light into our own hearts? What does that tell us about our own hearts? And as I said, this light is not just a physical light, it's a moral light. And the darkness too is the absence of that moral glory of God. 
Let me explain what I mean to that by that. When you read the creation story, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. What is it you see? What do you picture in your mind's eye? Maybe nothing because it's all dark. But you've probably got something in your mind. Some image of darkness and chaos, if you know the Hebrew word, the tohu wabohu, without form and void, emptiness and futility. But there's expectancy as the spirit hovers over the waters. Something's about to happen. And then God says, let there be light. But have you ever considered that image, that picture of the darkness at creation to actually be the darkness of your own heart? Have you ever considered your own sinful heart to be that empty, that futile, that dark? Because without the light of God shining in it, that's what it is. But over that darkness, over the void and futility and sinfulness of our own dark hearts, the Spirit of God hovers with expectancy. Waiting, watching, preparing with life-giving purpose. And then God speaks. The God who said, let there be light at creation, actually says in each of our hearts, let there be light. And the light shines in the darkness of our own hearts. And what, we, what do we see? The light of the glory of Christ, of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's been talking about Moses and Christ, the old covenant and the new. And Moses and Nathan uh, helped us a little bit with this last week in John 1, quite rightly so. Moses went up to the mountain and said to God, show me your glory. I need to see your glory. I need to not lose heart if you're going to take me on this journey with these people. So show me your glory. And God said, well, you can't see my face. No man shall see my face and live. But he did say, I'll tell you what, I'll make my glory pass before you, all my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim my name. So here we have this seeing and hearing happening again with the glory of God. And so if you know the story of Exodus 4, in the cleft of the rock Moses was told to go and God would put him in the cleft of the rock and cover Moses' face with his hand until he passed by. And this is what Moses heard as God made all his goodness pass before him. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's the spoken word of the glory of God which couldn't be seen by Moses. See how this light and glory is all moral? (laughs) Everything we've been talking about in this series is to do with this moral glory, this moral light of God. It has to do with mercy and grace, sin and forgiveness and justice and love. It's part of the new covenant promises, promise in, Gen- in Jeremiah 31 where it says no longer will a neighbour need to teach his other neighbour know the Lord because they will all know me, this light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How is it we will know the Lord? For I will forgive their iniquities 
and I'll remember their sins no more. How is it we know God? Only through forgiveness. Only through this light of the glory of God shining. Moses asked God to see his glory. And that's what he heard. Mercy, grace, patience, faithfulness, love, forgiveness, justice. And so when God shines his light into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, what is it we see? Mercy, grace, love, justice, forgiveness, faithfulness. How does the carol go? Do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see in the face of Jesus Christ? It's not a light at the end of the tunnel that keeps us from losing heart. It's the light of the gospel. It's the light of the knowledge of God and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His mercy, his faithfulness, his grace, his forgiveness, his love and his justice. That's what keeps Paul from losing heart. He's got a message to proclaim about the glory of God that will never fade. Has that light shone in your heart? Maybe it's been growing dim this past year. Maybe the darkness is trying to swallow it up. Maybe you've never had that light shine in your heart. Maybe today... We need to ask the Lord, just like Moses did. Lord, show me your glory. I need to see it afresh. I need to know your mercy and your grace and the forgiveness of my sins anew so that I won't lose heart. Because nothing else will do it. And let me tell you something. There is no place, there is no cloud, there is no heart so dark that the light of the gospel and the glory of God in Jesus Christ cannot shine into and overcome. As the psalmist tells us, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. No, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. The darkness has not and cannot overcome this light of the gospel. The same God who said, let there be light, wants to shine in your heart and mine. To give us the knowledge of his glory in the face of his son. So let's not walk in darkness any longer. Sometimes we like to keep a little dark recess of our heart aside and say, God, you can have all of me, but just not that little bit. No, you'll lose heart. You'll despair. Let the light shine. Come to the light of Christ, hear the gospel, believe the word of God and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His mercy and his grace, his forgiveness and faithfulness, his love and his justice. The light of the world has come. I'm going to invite the musicians up. Uh, We're going to sing, uh, we're not going to, rather than to pray this morning, we're actually going to sing Rock of Ages doesn't mention light or darkness this song is a prayer it's relating to that occasion when Moses uh, asked God to see his glory 
And if you read the story well, you actually realise that Moses didn't put himself in the cleft of the rock. God did. And then God passed by, placed his hand over Moses' eyes, proclaimed his goodness. All this is from God, Paul says in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians. And now this song actually rightly sees Christ as the rock which has been cleft for us. And just as God did for Moses, God places us in the cleft of that rock, in the cross of Christ. And the song asks that we might be able to hide ourselves in him, in thee, that we might be washed and clean from all our guilt and sin, knowing that we bring nothing of ourselves, empty hands, but simply cling to the cross of Christ and behold the glory of the Lord there. So we're going to sing and let's sing this song as a prayer for ourselves, but for us all this day. And open any deep and dark recesses of our hearts that we might have closed up to God. And by the mercy of God, he will put you in the cleft of that rock and make his glory to shine in your hearts this day and fill you with hope.